Welcome to the Night Nerd Podcast. I'm your host, Lance, and we are really excited today. I have a special guest in in virtual house, as it were these days, uh, Logan from Scott Snyder's Arbest Jacket Substack class. Uh, Logan is kind of spearheading a really cool project, a really cool anthology that is spun off and out of the class. And I just... I, I'm part of it, or trying to be part of it. I'm, I'm part of the, the submission process and stuff, and I'm excited about it. And we're going to sit down and talk about it. Uh, Logan, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thanks for coming by. I know you're super busy. You know, we were talking a little bit uh, before about day jobs and night writing and then all the stuff you're doing with this that we're going to get into. And so thank you for taking time out to to come and hang for a little bit. It's... I am appreciative that you took the initiative to give us some press. So I was I was honored when you sent me the message. Oh, thanks. So we met, I guess, this community that, that you're wearing, this whole community met out of the Best Jacket Club, the Scott Snyder's subsect that he started just over a year ago. As of this recording, what, like a year and two weeks ago or something? Um, yeah. What, when that started, like, why did you sign up for for Best Jacket? You know what's so funny about that is that I was actually I knew of the class and I was a latecomer until about January just because I was in the middle of moving and I didn't know whether I was going to be staying put where I am in Minnesota or if I was going to be in Los Angeles. I actually was at I, I kid you not Kevin Smith's Fat Man Beyond podcast the week after i was in los angeles and i saw the live show that was like in late october you can listen back to no uh september you can listen back to whichever one it was where they went over the sandman audiobook there's a bit where kev couldn't remember whether it was um who the actor was who played lucifer in the audible radio drama for it because he's in it as merv Pumpkinhead, and so he's having his kevin smith stoner moment on stage and is like who plays lucifer there's silence in scum and villainy cantina and you can just hear me shout out uh i i go michael sheen who played you know uh uh, Aziraphale and Good Omens and everything and was in the Underworld movies. And so for like a brief two seconds, you can hear my voice in that episode of Fat Man Beyond. And so literally the next week, Scott Snyder was on plugging Best Jacket Press. And so I was listening to that episode just in the car um, on the way to work one morning. And I went, oh my God, that's amazing. And I joined three months later only because of like my life being just in flux at the time but then i did the uh the grind of catching up on all the classes he had recorded and then i was on and off in the discord for a while until i saw the tales of the cloakroom volume one that hit um so as far as the the short answer for signing up for best jacket that's not so anecdotal is that scott is one of my favorite writers um ever his Batman run was coming out while I was in college and metal came out just as I finished undergrad. I collected every issue of everything he put out in the Batman verse. Um, and then on top of that, he offered that master's class in 2016. I don't know if you remember that at all, but he was doing the DC master's class and he was like, if you want to apply, you have to do X, Y, and Z and you can meet with us. And we're going to do a few crash courses. 
And by my understanding, most of that class has already made its way into the recorded lectures that we have now. But I went out and I bought all the books that he recommended were reading for submission, and I still have them. And I did deep dives on everything he recommended. Um, didn't get selected for that, obviously. But when it came around again, just in the day where we have master class and like Alan Moore's BBC Maestro series, um, I am just so grateful that we are now at this iteration where we can kind of learn at the feet of the people who are putting out the stories that we love so directly. It's a special time to be a comic book fan. Yeah, I, I agree. I I do master class, devour that, like all the cooking, the writing, but the lack of comic creator content out there is a little frustrating you know it's yeah character arcs are still character arcs but it's a little different in our realm so when this class showed up i i'm not a huge scott fan uh (laughs) i remember when the intro meeting you said that and i was like that is the most bold thing i've heard and i loved you so much the moment that you said that i had to mute my microphone because i was laughing so hard it's i mean (laughs) I say I'm not, but like I have all the metal. I have, you know, I don't have his new 52 entire run. I have some of it, and I, but I have a lot of his projects. I, I respect the dude. He can tell a story, and again, he's the only one out there teaching. Uh, at the time, you know, like we said, Alan Moore has his thing now, but Snyder was the only one teaching. And I was like, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's go, and it's it's been great. I, I've really I've really enjoyed it so far me too i i commend you also for doing doing the thing where you were like i don't know if this writer is the one that is necessarily the one that appeals to me but you could te- you could see the strengths there and you knew that it was a worthwhile endeavor to join in the class i think that says that alone says so much about your ability to like see a story see what's working for it for it and being able to go okay yes that's there and then having the dissonance to even join along, even though it's not something that you're coming at purely as a fan. Um, that that really stood out to me. I, I picked up on that during our first meeting, and I was like, that is a really professional way to go about your career as a writer. So I respect that a lot. Thank you. Thank you. And it's not like Scott's a great guy. I don't I mean, it's not like I don't like him. You know, it's not, just... we would not be here if that weren't true. <laughs> Uh, so, so you mentioned the anthology, you know, that first anthology that came about. What what spun out of that to make you want to do part of this this second anthology that's that's coming out? Um, yeah, that's a great question. So it was um C.S. Celeste who has a story in anthology one. I just think I dropped my Instagram handle once because I am a freelance visual artist. I'm not anywhere where I would call myself at the level of someone like a Greg Capullo or Chris Bacalo, I'm still learning. I'm in that phase. Um, so I'm pretty transparent about that. But I, I do like to just take the initiative of dropping handles. And um, Dan Jurgens, who wrote action comics on and off since the 90s, I was at a con once. And because he, he also is an artist, I just asked him while he was signing some of my Rebirth comics, what do you recommend for someone who is just picking up the pencils now and learning how to draw? And he said, start now and post everything, even your bad artwork on Instagram and keep on posting regularly because the years of progression that are going to be archived on your Instagram are going to be what's 
the the gateway into which smaller and larger publishers can look you up they can see your art style and go okay here's someone who's been posting since in my case 2017 we're now five years later and i can see where they started and where they are now um and so that was um the first step of it where I reached out to CSLS and I had that in the background. So I, I had used that as my segue where I just dropped my Instagram handle. And that's typically like my policy for most spaces where I'm just like drop handle, worry about quality later. Um, not in the publishing world, mind you, in the networking world. And he got back to me and I, I uh, he followed me and I messaged him and I was like, hey, how did this thing come about? I was gone for those first three months of the class. like how did it start? And he was like, well, we just got together and um, worked on X, Y, and Z. And the next thing you know, we were all working on editorial and the book was off like gangbusters. Got me connected to some of the editors and I just asked questions about how they got their book going. Um, and my initial question was, what would it look like to do that again? And so they said that they literally just, you know, on their own gumption, got it together, went out and did. Um, and I am such a big fan of the people who make art where they just take the initiative to do it. Uh, I'm not trying to be hoity-toity or anything, but one of the most important lessons that I learned in my undergrad when I was a theater major was whether or not you're at a certain level of proficiency, the most important thing you can do is go out and do the thing. There was a show that I saw where one of my professors was in it, and I was, I was a theater major for reference. And she had to play the bass guitar for like this crazy rock and roll scene in this play. And she had never played a bass guitar or guitar in her life. And she just learned the chords that she needed to for that one song, went out and did. And I wouldn't have known watching the show because I watched the show and I didn't know until like a week later when I was talking to her that she had learned those few chords for that. And so that's just, um, I think a great philosophy to live off of in the art life is to go, okay, I might not be proficient by like my own understanding of it, but if I'm good enough to have the skills to present that's going to read for someone else, that shouldn't be a barrier for me jumping in and having fun. And so that's what I sort of saw in the first volume. And that's what I immediately went to with volume two. Now, I didn't, it didn't start off as volume two. It started off as let's just get together and make a comic book. Everyone who wants to, let's just do this, whether it's self-published, whether or not we, we have whatever accolades that come with it, let's just make something so we're in the practice of things. And that is how this book came about. Nice. And I think that's, going back to talking about Dan George and stuff, um, a great guy. I did a, I love hero, it. they're in lockdown, Hero Initiative had their little courses, that, or not courses, like yes. just you can do. And so I have actually, uh, he drew me a daredevil picture oh, that awesome. I, I have to tell you about my daredevil collection later, uh, but please do. Yeah. But that's one thing, you know, just getting it out there, the dedication, you know, like you talk about is, is amazing and publishers, they'll tell you, they'd rather have somebody who draws every day than somebody who draws one awesome picture every six months. Yep. And so that's, uh, which is really cool. So Talking to these other editors and creatives from the first one, are you planning on uh, cross crossover? Like, what's the relation connection to the first one? You know, you said it didn't start off as a volume right. two necessarily, but so what is the connection to the first anthology? Well, it didn't start off as volume two. 
it is now aiming to be volume two. Um, so the connection to the first one, I mean, we do have a few people who have come over who were submitting for the first one who are submitting now. We have a different editorial team. And I think that has more to do with the people who are ready and able and willing to do the work are going to be the ones that jump on and do the editorial side of things. It's a lot of work to do. And I can understand why anyone who was on book one, like back to back uh, as just a labor of love, you know, wouldn't necessarily be ready to jump right into it because they're still working on the launch of book one. Their duties aren't necessarily done yet. They are still over there doing amazing work. Um, so for the first connection, um, or the connection of the first one, sorry, words. So the connection of the first one is that we are, um, trying to do volume two of Tales from the Cloakroom, with the hope being that we follow the similar philosophy of the first one, and that just becomes the um, stamp that this group of writers and artists has on being a part of Scott's Substack. Um, we just want to go, hey, here's what we did. Here's our professional work. And my hope with it, because um, there are a few different creatives that I've heard give this piece of advice is that then everybody has one published piece of work in this book and a published piece of work in a book, even self-published at a con goes so much farther than just saying to people, yeah, I draw comic books because you never know what's going to be that magical sliver of a moment where an editor for any smaller or larger comic book company goes, well, we are actually still looking because X, Y, and Z might have fallen through. Um, I'm going to butcher his last name and I feel so bad about it, but he did the, he was the former CEO or one of the creative officers of Marvel did the daredevil Kevin Smith comic. Oh, Joe Quesada. Joe Quesada. Thank you. I was going to butcher the last name and say something totally different. Joe Quesada got his break um, because he, back in the day where you could walk into Marvel offices, he literally walked in and was just like, I draw, do you have anything open? And it was just like fresh off of school. And the editor, I don't know if it was Jim Shooter or someone else. Uh, I can't remember the exact details of the story, but said, you are the most lucky person in the world. We had someone fall through. If you really can draw by this deadline, get me this cover of this offshoot smaller book. And you got yourself a gig at Marvel. And the, the reality is, is that you never know when that's going to happen to you again. And I know that more in the acting world where I have been in situations where there have been casting directors or producers who have been like on a short timetable, we need someone who looks like this, has these skills, and one of those skills happened to be drawing, not good, but drawing. And that's how I actually booked a gig being on a short thing on the Discovery Channel once. It was that I just went, yeah, I can do it. And that was just that very small sliver of a time and I got the gig. And it's the people who show up that have the work, that have something to submit. And I'm really hoping that when this collection is done and published, that's going to be the people who are in this class as gateway to, if not getting a gig, making the connections to somehow in the future, getting them the gig. Yeah. And to go back to, Ke I feel like Kevin Smith, you know, we're, we're here to talk about Scott Snyder, but Kevin Smith keeps coming up too. Uh, <laughs> that's how Bendis got Daredevil is Smith, surprise, was late on some scripts and Bendis had a friend of a friend and they were like, well, yeah, if, if you can get like a three issue Daredevil arc, we'll, we'll plug it in until Smith gets back. And then Smith yeah. never came back. And so, but having, you know, like you said, something to present, um, have you, I'm going to throw you a, a curveball here, please, but please. 
do you have work like when you, do you go to cons you you mentioned your instagram and stuff um yeah. do you have portfolio or like when you, when you present what do you present i have a very short stack of um paintings and digital drawings that i think are better than others i i would consider my art to not necessarily be something that is comics industry standard air quotes i'm much more of an expressionist um when it comes to my visual art i do have what i consider a weird zine that crosses over into the world of comic books but it's really a combination of poetry of some of my artwork and a play that i wrote as my senior thesis in undergrad when i was a theater major and I could go on the long Scott McCloudian like art theory rant about how it technically still is a comic book. And I'm not saying that to like down talk my own work. I'm saying that more in the interest of time. My stuff tends to be a little bit more on the experimental side. And that's just like the, the school that I went to for undergrad was very much into experimental avant-garde theater. And it kind of had a lasting impact on me. So as an editor and as a reader, I really like looking for the rules of how like comics publishing and writing and artwork, you know, works. It's not necessarily what I like to replicate in my own work. It definitely has influences. So when I do table, which I have at conventions and at art shows before, I will bring copies of my work. Um, and, you know, I have networked with them before in the past, but it hasn't necessarily led to like that magical Marvel DC image moment that, I'm hoping people who do have that trajectory are working for. It's not that I am trying to downtalk anyone's ambitions to be in that trajectory. It's just that when it comes to my own personal art, I'm I'm way more attracted to the indies who sort of make their own rules than I am with the people who are trying to play in bigger comics publishing. But that doesn't mean that I don't have an interest in, in bigger comics publishing, which is why I'm working as an editor on this. So it's like me as my personal artist is a different being than the editor who is working on comics obviously i'm human so there's going to be a little bit of a crossover there um but that's just that so have met people have made connections not necessarily leading to um larger work but i do know people who have gotten work that way in the past that i am friends with who are all of a sudden are working on comic books for larger companies uh, i think that that's a great answer and it's a great segue to with these stories in this this upcoming anthology kind of what are you looking for are you looking for the romance or the superhero or the avant-garde like what are you looking for as an not just as an editor but as a creator in in the submission stories if someone were to submit the most avant-garde piece like like not even hearing me say what i just did i would be so happy I would be so happy if that happened. Um, I'm not trying to speak that into existence or anything, but that'd be really cool. Again, sparing the long art theory lecture right now. Um, but uh, what we're looking for really is that because it's Tales from the Cloakroom and the entire philosophy of the first one was, let's not put any barriers on anyone, except that somehow there has to involve a jacket, a cloak, a coat, some piece of outerwear could be a piece of flannel, you know, just something like if you want to justify a t-shirt as a, a jacket of its own kind, like I'm not, there's no gatekeeping in what you consider a jacket. You could call someone's birthday jacket their naked body and it's their birthday suit, but you're calling it a jacket. Because it is Best Jacket Press, the philosophy of volume one 
was, as long as it incorporates somehow a jacket, a coat, anything like that, whether minor or major in your story, and by minor, it could be the smallest thing. Someone could say the word coat once. Someone could say the word jacket. Someone could literally just like have a jacket hanging in the background of one of their panels and it would count. And the story could be about something totally different. It could be about a romance gone awry. It could be about a dog that's battling a robot T-Rex that are falling through the multiverse. And in one of the multiverses, everything's made of jackets. Like the imagination is the limit on it. It's not so much to gatekeep what someone's imagination is, the story they want to tell, what qualities of their work they want to present. It is way more about just paying homage to the fact that Scott Snyder's Best Jacket Press brought us all together and has been giving us not only tools, but what I think has been really moving to me is inspiration and the community that it's also built because I'm on the Discord every day. I'm sure I've seen you pop up on it too. And I see everyone else do. And I'm just so happy that there are so many nerds like me that are ready to be engaged with not only just like the work and the questions and the ambition, but just the camaraderie of being nerds and having the conversations that we all do in our cars after we see the newest Marvel or DC movie, which is the, I love this, I hated that, I wanna see this, wouldn't that be awesome if that happened? That's my favorite part about being a nerd is the ambition leading up to something, not the ambition, the anticipation leading up to something, and then the after talk. And so we have that going on. Um, and it's just all because Scott is being really gracious as a teacher in this case, where the, the history that he has of stories that so many of us love and have fallen in love with, he's, he's bringing that to bear. And I'm really, really moved by that, especially because he more recently has moved more into the independent sphere after doing amazing work in the superhero genre. And I just think that having someone with that level of knowledge and also just as a teacher when he has communication with the students the level of um acceptance and just just uh he you can tell how eager he is to talk with people and to be your friend and to give you the advice that you need so that way you can do the work the best work that you can do or you can do the work as best as you can do um so that's what um I think is super cool about this. I know I, I tangentialized a little bit, but the story thing is all about the jackets. And then I pay tribute to Scott. Thank you, Scott, if you are listening. I I like to think he is. Uh, <laughs> There's so, a little bit of Scott Snyder in all of us. There we go. I, <laughs> at least people on the Discord will hopefully listen to it. Uh, you, you talk about Scott, and as a teacher, you know, he he teaches in classrooms as well. He used to teach in classrooms as well. Mm -hmm. And so I, I like how he knows what he's doing. He knows what he has to do and what he has to say. Like all of us, though, you know, he does get kind of tangent, especially I, I've been going back and re-listening re to everything. And the Donnie Cates episode was just, we're just talking, hanging oh. out. I mean, it was talking and hanging out, but that Donnie Cates episode was also unreal. Like, yeah. I, I had to take a few moments to pause and be like, this is oh my god like I, I i've been a little bit out of touch with marvel just because of life stuff but when i saw those pages from venom i was like what have i been missing out on yeah donnie's he lives in texas i would down the street like seven hours from where i am so that's down oh, the street next door neighbor yeah uh 
but with you know Scott knowing what he does and stuff as an editor what what are your responsibilities to this book you know where Scott is teaching us mm -hmm. and inspiring us as the editor what what are what all is on your shoulders what all burdens do you have to bear you know the the truth of the matter is, is that right now I am being more of a schedule manager than I am doing too much editorial. That's going to change in like literally seven, eight days here because as of the 31st, um, I'll have the first round of drafts in to give people review and responses on. But with that, my my duties are right now just making sure that everyone has a consistent point of contact. They know that they have partners they can keep in touch with. I'm basically doing the compiling of information that's going to be helpful for them along the way. Um, and that's my biggest duty right now is just to be point of contact, schedule, heralder, and information gatherer. When it comes to springtime, when everyone's comics are done, that's going to be the really heavy brunt of my work because that's when I'm going to be doing um, not only selection of pieces and then compiling how it's going to look in the book. That's also going to be where we're sending off test prints to the printer. We are getting the Kickstarter set up. We're doing all the research and outreach that we need to do to make sure that we have a successful book launch. So in, in that regard, my responsibilities are more or less the two thumbs up, you go bud phase of things where I'm just sort of the supportive dad at the kids soccer practice and soccer game going, great job. Um, and then when it comes springtime, that's gonna be when I do with the other two editors that we have on the book right now, uh, that's when we're gonna sit down and really do the brunt of the work that's on our shoulders, which is who do we need to talk to to market this book? How do we, what numbers do we need to quote to make sure that we have enough material to get the book done? Is this going to look professional when we get our prints back? Um, is there anything that we need to tweak, edit, talk about X, Y, and Z, plus the chaos factor of the challenges that you never know are going to be there until they're there. Whether it's theater, whether it's writing a book, or drawing a comic, publishing something, there's always going to be one bomb waiting for you somewhere along the way when you're getting ready to do the final thing. Um, and so it's going to be about being ready to respond to whatever that is. I'm not trying to talk like something into the universe where it's like, oh, a doomful bomb will blow us up. Um, but more along the lines of like being prepared to respond to whatever any of the creatives need, as well as what editorial just needs to hit on our own timetable. Um, I mean, I think writers work, writers and artists and comics work on a timetable and they have to meet deadlines and editorial is going to be the exact same way. The biggest responsibility is going to be if editorial doesn't hit deadline, the book won't, you know, go to printers, come out in X, Y, and Z. And we are going to just do everything we can and we are going to do it and we're going to get that book out there. Um, so yeah, I don't know what that looks like quite yet because the spring is still a few months away. But for right now, it's going to be a whole lot of um, just making sure everyone feels supported and getting their uh, materials together and their comics produced. Nice. You, you kind of already answered my, my next question. I was going to ask what the process of the book, you know, creating it is. Uh, right. And you kind of gave it to us from, from your side of things. But yeah. how is it broken down? Like for, if you don't mind telling us, like, the writer's process yeah. and the artist's process and, you know, the other roles that are going into this book, kind of what goes into that? Yeah. So 
in a perfect world, and we have a few, um, you know, we have, we have a flexible schedule because we knew we have this much time until 2022 is out. But in a perfect world, um, August, which we're already in, is the land of first drafts. And then by the 31st, the first drafts will all be in, and that's going to be editorials time to read and respond to them. And everything that we read and respond to is not based off of the gatekeeping of, yes, you're going to have a comic. No, you're not going to have a comic. Because we aren't, we are not a professional printing house. We aren't someone who's looking at a pitch and, you know, trying to do the viability of is this something that we want to publish? Is this part of our mission? Will this make us money? Any of those things. What we're doing right now is artist friendly, both writer and visual artist. And anything that we respond to at the end of August is going to be how can we support the writer in making the best possible work they can put out there? And then two weeks after our 31st for the first draft deadline, it's optional for anyone who's participating. But if they want to, they can make up mock pitches, whether they want to send us that in writing, whether they want to record themselves or make a Zoom, whatever, and talk to us and do a little mock pitch, they can totally do that. Um, and it's just there so they have a space to practice with someone. So in the real world, when they find themselves in an elevator at a con and they have 10 seconds where the editor or their friend who's a writer for whatever company says, hey, you heard you had an idea for the story. You can go, yes, I do have an idea for a story. My story is about this, uh, this, this fairy prince whose name is Heximus, whose brother is the true rightful king, but gets killed in combat. And all of a sudden he's excommunicated because of some grand political drama. And the whole thing is about this Games of Thronian war between the fairy people and the human realm. And then you can just like I'm I'm making this up right now as I as I talk to you. But it's just so you have the tools to have your 10 to 30 second, like three or four tight sentences that hook whoever you're talking to and then um leave room for their imagination to grow into whatever the pitch is. And that's gonna be by mid-September that we do all of that. End of September is the um, second draft, which we are considering the draft that you send out to your artist. And then from October and November, we are doing time for the artists to work because comics pages take forever to draw. And whether you are the penciler, the inker, the colorist, or you're doing all three, it takes forever. And the truth is, is that so many of us who are in this class are working people who aspire to be writers and uh, artists in the comic book industry. And so when the eight to 12 hours of your day that someone like Todd McFarlane or Greg Capullo or Chris Bacalo have to sit down and draw and make the best possible work that they can um, because they're paid to do it, that's not something that someone who is either in school or works at their day job as a temp has the time to do. And so the two to five hours they can get in an evening to get it done or on the weekends, we want to make sure that they are supported as possible so that they have the time to not only draw, but to redraft and revise if they're not happy with their own work. So we're, that's going to take us through October and November. Because November and December are such holiday heavy months, we have some flexible flexibility in there where it's like, you know, if someone has like obligations of family or kids or so on and so forth, leaving December sort of open as the ambiguous like any last touches month. And then the if all goes according to plan, which, you know, when does it ever do that? 
but then January until about April or May of this year is going to be when we are getting ready to do all the um, editorial building the book to ship out. And it's going to hopefully follow a similar timeline as volume one, where around April or May, you're going to start seeing the Kickstarter. And then once the Kickstarter is up, that's going to be what sort of rides or dies on the book being able to be um, printed and shipped out. Nice. Are you planning? Uh, are you planning to do it exclusively in color, or is it? Are you planning black and white, and then adding color as like a Kickstarter goal, or what's the you're thought process? Covers or the interiors? In interiors. Um, I mean, my plan is whatever the artists make is what we're going to go with. So if they have, if it's color, we are going to plot for color, and if it's black and white, we are going to plot for black and white. Uh, I know volume one is in color, and I think if people are already, you know, wrapping their heads around their work being in color, that's just how we're going to do it. Yeah, I think that's that's cool. I'm excited. I I backed volume one, and so I'm waiting for it to to come in and oh, flip so and everything. Excited! I'm so excited to read that whole thing. It was yeah. It, it'll be interesting. So talking about backing one and all of this, mm -hmm. are you going to do a volume three? Um, I'm hoping that this is going to light the fire for volume three. If uh, The Last Jedi was the spark that was going to burn the First Order down, I'm hoping that as volume one was the spark that lit volume two's ability to live. Um, in, in my heart of hearts, and I am only a student, I am no one who has any sort of um, administrative duty with Best Jacket Press. I am only a student, but in my heart of hearts, I'm hoping that what happens is that because volume one inspired volume two as hard as it did, a year from now, the next round of students are going to do volume three and so on and so forth. That's like, well, that's how I hope it all plays out. Um, you know, I, I don't know what that looks like. That's going to be someone else's call. And we had an entire conversation toward the start of this, whether we even wanted to do Tales from the Cloakroom Volume 2, or if we wanted to do our own thing in a different um, genre, because there are so many independent presses that will do anthologies that are just purely romance comics or purely sci-fi comics or horror comics or X, Y, and Z. So we had a conversation with everyone who had been interested at that point in doing Volume 2, um, whether or not we wanted it to be that or something else. Um, pretty unanimously, it was we want to try to make volume two. And so with that, we went forward. And because that was how it played out, I'm really hoping that's how it works out for volume three. Nice. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I like I said, working on stories. If I don't get in volume two, then yeah, hopefully there'll be a volume three and work on the story, get get back in and everything like that. How can people both on and off the discord people in and out of the class kind of follow what's going on with this like what's the best way for people to stay informed uh, through this process so actually right now because we are so early on and i made sure to write down the social media handle if you want to do anything in the immediate future that can help out the first is either join Scott's Substack if you're interested. And if you're not someone who's looking to learn about writing or, or visual art, just do free subscription and just expose yourself to that world and that work because that's what brought us there in the first place. 
The second is that go on Instagram or Twitter or whatever and follow at Cloak Room Comics. Cloak is C-L-O-A-K, then room, R-R, sorry, R-O-O, M is in Mary, comics, Cloak Room Comics. Follow what's going on with volume one. Um, I know the Kickstarter closed, but if there's any ability for you to get your hands on even a PDF copy, start with supporting volume one first, because all of those creators did something really incredible already and that's what got us here now so i i would be remiss if i didn't mention that following those two works would be the most important thing um as far as anything else in the realm of staying up to date with the cloakroom two that's not going to be announced and out there publicly too much um for the immediate future however if you really 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 are jones and to stay in touch on it you can follow my Instagram, and that's going to be um, it's logger l19 is in the house of l like Superman. I'll spell it out for anyone who's listening. It's going to be l o g r underscore e l one nine. You might not see a post about Cloakroom two for a while, but you can follow there. And then when it's time for that, it will happen. But in the most immediate way, Scott Substack and then following the social media for volume one is the most important thing that you can do. Um, the more buzz that that generates for volume one and the more you can support volume one right now, the more that's going to bring people over into volume two when it comes time for that. So like love and support the artists and creators that had the initiative and the drive to make something and to put it all out there because they really did do it all on their own. Um, it wasn't something where anyone from Best Jacket Press reached out first. They just had the initiative, they had the drive, and they had the love of comics to do it. So I'd say reward their love with yours, and then hopefully that's going to just transfer all the more over into volume two. Well, Logan, thank you so very much, not only for being here, but for all that you do with this anthology, uh, your your love and admiration for the the medium the art all of it is is super apparent and that's i mean you hooked me you hooked all these other people uh we're, we're drinking the juice and it, it's wonderful <laughs> uh, just yes thank you for, for all that you do we we really do appreciate it and i can't wait to see what comes of this uh what, what the future holds for for this project Thank you. And I appreciate your time and your energies. And I love I love the podcast too. everything I'm listening to about it. It's excellent. And like I said, at the top of it, I'm so appreciative that you're taking your time and your energy to give us some press and some love. And I'm just wishing all the best for you and your journey with not only Scott's class and Tales from the Cloakroom, but your podcast and everything else you do. Thank you. Thank you. And for those of you that are new to the podcast, listening for the first time, make sure to check me out all social media. Just look for The Night Nerd, N-I-G-H-T-N-E-R-D. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or if you want more information or a show idea, feel free to email me, nightnerd at thenightnerd.com. I love talking to everybody. Uh, you can find me on Substack, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the things. Uh, can't promise how active I am, but I always respond to inquiries and stuff so it's been a lot of fun follow everything logan talked about to keep up to date with the project and we'll see you next time